0: Okay, we're going to be starting a new series today, one I'm very, very excited about. It is a series called The Upside Down Life. It is a series that is focusing on Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And I'd like to read just the first ver- first two verses of this great passage. Many theologians, Bible teachers call this the Sermon because it is the most prominent of all the teachings of Jesus. And it says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Let's pray together. Lord, we come today, and God, in the midst of the storm and in the quietness of our homes, uh, I pray that your Spirit would take truth, um, Apply it to our lives as we just launch this incredible study into this incredible sermon. Lord, teach us what it means to um, allow you to turn our lives upside down and to change us and transform us into the people that it is your intention that your people be as parts of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Many of you grew up in your English Lit class in high school or perhaps in college with a thing called aphorisms, and an aphorism is a pithy observation that contains a general truth. There's lots of them. Maybe you're familiar with some of these. A picture is worth a thousand words. Actions speak louder than words. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. He who hesitates is lost. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. The early bird catches the worm. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. These are all aphorisms. And we're familiar with these, but sometimes we find that they are overgeneralizations. For instance, does one apple really keep the doctor away? Does the early bird always beat out the other birds to the worm? Sometimes it's better to fix something even if it isn't broken. And sometimes, aphorisms actually have conflicting messages. One of my favorites is the fact that we often say absence makes the heart grow fonder. But we also say, out of sight, out of mind. The reason I'm mentioning these is because I think many of us view the Sermon on the Mount as a series of aphorisms. Cool phrases catchy, sound bites we're familiar with, maybe we even quote them, but Jesus presented them as specific living evidences of his existence in a person's life, that more than this, they are presented as a real life, shockingly different way to live. In our culture that exalts rich, flamboyant, ruthless individuals, often we are told, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. In a world that talks of personal worth in terms of money, we read in this sermon, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In a don't tread on me, if you get hit, hit back harder world, we get this from Jesus. If you do not forgive others' their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How about this? If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Today we're we're beginning a multi-month journey into this sermon of Jesus. And today, what I'd like to do is just take our our moments together to give a quick overview of what this whole thing is about. And there are four things that this sermon shows us. First of all, Matthew 5 through 7 shows us the values and lifestyle of Jesus' kingdom. The values are the Beatitudes, the lifestyle is the remainder of Matthew 5 through 7 which follow the Beatitudes. They are all about kingdom living. Living under the reign of God in our lives, the reign of Jesus in particular. It's interesting that it starts off, the first Beatitude in verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. But it also says that about the last one, Blessed are those that are persecuted, for they belong to the kingdom of heaven. Most Bible scholars believe this is a principle called inclusion, that as the first one is said to belong to the kingdom and the last one is said to belong to the kingdom, that it is, it, it is an inclusive statement of saying these are the characteristics, all of them, that belong, that, belong, that are manifest in the life of those that belong in the, to the kingdom of heaven. This is about Jesus' kingdom, as John Stott said it. In Matthew 5-7, through regarding Jesus' kingdom, it describes what human life looks like when it comes under the gracious rule of God. In the early church, in the first 100 years, which is called, that is the time, the primitive or early church, as it's known by church historians, this passage was quoted more than any other passage of the New Testament. In 90 AD, there's a writing called the Didache, which literally means teaching. The the full title was The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. It was the the catechism. It was the the training manual for the early church for the the years after uh, Jesus had left and most of the disciples, all the disciples, ultimately had passed away. And in this training manual, which we still have today, by far, The Sermon on the Mount is the passage that is most highlighted, that is most talked about, and commented on as the way way that we live out the Christian life. I truly believe if Jesus visited our church for a month of meetings, his first choice to teach us would be Matthew 5 through 7. It shows us the values and the lifestyles of Jesus' kingdom it is in total contrast to the system of the world and this is really our second principle this passage shows the contrast of the world to the kingdom of jesus we're told in 1 john chapter 2 verse 15 and 16 about the system of the world the values and the lifestyle, the values and the priority of the system of the world, which means the system not under the reign of Christ. In those verses, here's what it says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and here they are, the three things that mark the world as priorities and values, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The values and the priorities of the world are presented in contrast to that of the kingdom of Jesus. And here he says three things. He says, first of all, one priority and value is the lust of the flesh, pleasures of life, whether it's sex or food or comfort or delicacies, he says that's one of the things that people seek to find satisfaction and contentment and, and that drives them is a passion of life. A second is the lust of the eyes, the greed, the, the, the looking and, and avarice and coveting and desiring things, whether it is possessions or money or, or, or something that, that I feel I, I need to have. There's pleasures, the lust of the flesh, there's possessions the lust of the eyes, and then he says the pride of life. Literally, it could be rendered the boasting of who we are and what we've accomplished. It is position and power. That I am somebody, that I've done something, that I have influence, that, that I have uh, control over circumstances. And God says to us here through the Apostle John in First, chapter, first John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, this is what compels the world. Pleasure, or possessions, or position. The Sermon on the Mount says a completely contrary message. It says those things do not bring makarios. The word makarios is blessing. They do not lead to blessedness or happiness. There's a wonderful Old Testament story that I think is a parallel of all of this. It's a story of a, actually a very prominent world figure. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon and a very powerful king in the ancient Near East. And if we can bring up his picture, this is actually a picture of Nebuchadnezzar. Do we have that picture? Okay. Oh, <laughs> it's not on this screen. Sorry. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar was famous. Because of what, it, of what he did in his kingdom. And in the kingdom of Babylon, he had what is known as the hanging gardens. And this is actually a, 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 a rendering based on archaeological digs. These hanging gardens were, were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The city was a city where the river flowed through it. It is a city of astonishing uh, Influence and magnificence. It is a city whose walls were so large, it was famous, that you could have a chariot of four horses that would pass a chariot of four horses going the other direction, and they would actually have races up there. And it was 80 feet wide, these walls. They were 320 feet high, to put that in perspective. A football field is shorter than that. And they were 50, the walls were 56 miles wide. This was a magnificent city. And Daniel chapter 4 records a scene that takes place on this city. And Nebuchadnezzar now is up on the top of his palace, and here's what happened. When the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power? And for the glory of my majesty. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what I decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of man and gives it to whom He will. God says... He hears the, 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 the arrogant statement of Nebuchadnezzar as he looks at his resplendent city, and he says, you're going you're to actually be out in the field, and for seven periods, and his debate was that seven weeks, seven months, you're going to live like an animal. And this picture de- de- depicts the rendering of what actually happened. And at the end of that period, he came to his senses And again, Daniel 4 records the result. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This story highlights... The insanity of Nebuchadnezzar resulting in him seeing the reality of the living God. But the value system of Matthew 5 through 7 reminds us of a deeper message in the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount tells us that the real insanity of Nebuchadnezzar was not when he was crawling around on the field. The real insanity of Nebuchadnezzar took place on the roofs of his palace where he looked at life thinking that he was in control and that he could find lasting and real satisfaction in what he accomplished and gained. His whole world view was turned upside down from a deceived self-sufficiency where power and possessions and position and pleasures were the essence of life, he came in contact with the reality of the kingdom of heaven, the way of life experienced in heaven, and ultimately brought to earth later through King Jesus, a life that considers it insanity, to seek your happiness and contentment in power and possessions and position and pleasure. And his whole world was turned upside down when he had the dawning reality of what life was really about. The lifestyle and the values that Jesus is presenting in Matthew 5 through 7 are in utter contrast with the lifestyle in the world around us and the world in which we live. Number three, Matthew 5-7 through shows us what Jesus commends and produces in a person's life. Jesus commends this life. He says, Blessed are those that embrace the values of the Beatitudes and the actions of the remainder of this sermon. The word blessed, makarios, means a couple of things. It certainly does mean happiness. It is talking about a level of genuine happiness. It is also talking about a happiness that is out of the favor of God being poured out in people's lives. But it is not only that Jesus commends this way of life and says it is the means to satisfaction. It is also Jesus producing this life. This lifestyle of Matthew 5 through 7 Is countercultural not only to this world, but also to us. It is countercultural to our flesh or sinful nature, uh, which are two ways of saying the same thing, our, our propensity away from things of God. Only Jesus can live the life that is described in Matthew 5 through 7. He is willing to begin living that life through us here. It enables us to begin in baby steps to live the life of heaven on earth. That's why Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 6 as he gives the Lord's prayer, this model prayer, and he says, this is how, how I want you to pray. Our Father who's in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done just like it is in heaven. What is he saying? Lord, let us experience here Life as it is experienced in your presence in heaven, as it will one day be when heaven, the, the new heavens and new earth, control all of the world, all the cosmos. But he says Jesus has come to bring the potential to not only enter that kingdom, but to be the source of living this new life of Matthew five through seven in our lives. This is what John the Baptist was saying as he talked about repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent means to change your mind. And he says, get your minds around this thing. That what Jesus, what what the king is bringing is something new and different. It means to get your mind around the fact. And repenting means to change your mind about yourselves. that, That this life is not something you do. To recognize that you will not find your happiness in your own pursuits to respect, repent of your insufficiency and failures, to be ready to embrace the kingdom rule of, and power of Jesus in your life. And John the Baptist was the preparer, the one that went before, and says, he's coming, he's bringing the kingdom here, this new way of life, this new set of values, he's bringing it. Turn your mind towards it. Dallas Willard has an illustration in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, that that I think is a beautiful expression of this. Here's what he says. I'd like to just read this section quickly. As a child, I lived in an area of southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning. We had more of that than we could use. But in my senior year of high school, the REA, the Rural Electrification Administration extended its lines into the area where we lived, and electrical power became available to households and farms. When those lines came by our farm, a very different way of life presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could then be vastly changed for the better. But we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements, understand them, and take the practical steps involved in relying on it. He says, it was like this. It was like somebody came and said, repent, for electricity is at hand. Repent, or or turn from your kerosene lamps and lanterns, your ice boxes and cellars, your scrub boards and rug beaters. Your woman-powered sewing machines and your radios with dry-celled batteries. He says, strangely, a few did not accept it. They did not enter the kingdom of electricity. Some just didn't want to change. Others could not afford it, or so they thought. And that illustration is perfect to me. John the Baptist is saying there's one coming that is bringing a dynamic way of life. He's providing not only the opportunity for you to enter it, but for you to live it. He's the power of it. Change your minds. Embrace it. Prepare to, to imbibe it. This life that is described in Matthew 5-7. through 7. The fourth thing we find in this passage is this. It shows us what brings God's blessing to a person's life. Jonathan Edwards, pastor of the 1700s and the theologian of the First Great Awakening in America, made this statement, the soul of every man necessarily craves happiness. This is a universal appetite of human nature that is alike in the good and the bad. Blaise Pascal talked about Man's invariable hunger to be happy in pursuit of being happy. He says it this way, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it. It is the same desire in both, attended with different views. They will never take the least step but to this object this is the motive of every action of every man to be happy. Jesus says in Matthew 5-7, through the path to blessedness, to happiness, to contentedness and satisfaction has been made available to us. It is embracing the values and practices of Jesus' kingdom. And we might ask as we close, so why don't we all embrace them? I would suggest it's for this reason. Because this set of values and priorities and lifestyle practices will probably turn our life upside down. And for many of us, We would rather fly wrong side up if most people around us are doing it. But for those who want the reign of Jesus in their lives and the incredible fruit that comes with it, Jesus invites us to drink at the well of Matthew 5 through 7, this incredible Sermon on the Mount. Lord, As we launch into this series over these weeks and months, I pray that we would have the courage to be listeners and livers of these truths. There are things you say here that are so contrary to what even culturally we view as practical wisdom. God, may we not just hear these as pithy sayings and interesting concepts but the very principles of life that you expect to be lived by those that live under the reign of Jesus. So Lord, give us the conviction and the courage to live in your strength this lifestyle, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now have a great week, guys. Go in peace to love and serve and enjoy the Lord.